Thank you. I love that. I love that. Light of the world, which is what we're talking about today. We're in Isaiah, the ninth chapter that Andy read from, and uh, we started uh, two weeks ago with the first part of those who are in darkness have seen, and we're on the second part now, the great light. And that's what I want to talk about today. This reminds me, when, I got, when we got this, you know, you've been very gracious to us, like for like 15 years we've been getting these little things here. And I want you to know, you, 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 you laugh when I hand this to my wife when she's here. But my wife has taken these every year, and I don't know what she's done with them. <laughs> no, seriously, she's saving all this. And I don't know how much she has, but she's got it stashed away someplace. And I give it to her and she puts it someplace. So I don't know, one of these days it'll show up. But uh, she's, she's got, I don't know what she's got going on up there, but I'm somewhat suspicious. But uh, somewhat suspicious. And then the other thing this morning kind of reminded me, ah, Candy, it's good to see you here. Glad you're here. And you had a safe trip coming in. Yeah. And I know there's other people that are here for the first time. Welcome on Christmas Sunday morning. Um, that thing about being pretty, turn into, did he say, you know, turn to the person, you know, you're pretty? Reminds me of a story of a little guy who's, 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 uh, whose, mother, whose mother had gotten some, I don't know, what, what, what is it you women put on your face? It's all this stuff. You get this stuff that you put on your face and you, you get kind of a mask, you know, like, you know, it's all white or whatever it is. And her son had come into the, the bathroom and she had put all this stuff on her face and he says, Mommy, Mommy, he says, what's, what's, the, what's wrong? She says, oh, nothing. She says, Daddy, Daddy gave me all this stuff, and so I'm supposed to put on, it's supposed to make me beautiful. And so she had all this on, so he stood there, and he was watching her do all this. And he watched her, and he watched her. And then she took it off, and she got all cleaned up, and she looked at him, and she smiled, and she says, Mommy, it didn't work. <laughs> okay, Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Whatever you want to do with that is fine. <laughs> Mommy, it didn't work. All right, we have been standing a lot today, so I'm going to let you, you stay seated for the reading to this morning. All right. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burden, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of God to our hearts this morning and for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the, 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 the breath of our salvation, for the plan before the foundations of the world, because this almighty God, this everlasting Father, loved us so. And we would pray, Father, as we share this morning, that you would speak through this word to our hearts. And this is our heart to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, we, we started by uh, noticing that God comes in unexpected ways, right? Into, into our hearts and to a people who the world ignores and the world doesn't care about. Remember, we used the passage from, uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians, for God uses the foolish things of the world. God uses the foolish things of the world. And secondly, we talked about that if glory can happen in a manger, it can happen in this world. It can happen in our homes, the glory of God. Now, God could simply have given us an instruction book, and he did, you know, and he did. We have an instruction book, but without God being with us, without God being with us, this book is a set of dry uh, do's and don'ts and filled with really interesting stories, but our lives would lack that spark, that spark that could change us and give us the light that we need for our lives. So as we look at this passage, the salvation being talked about here has to do with light, ultimate light. In verse 2, we see it very clearly. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. A light has shined. That phrase, deep darkness, literally means death shadow. Death shadow. Those living in death shadow. It puts the idea of darkness and death together in the scriptures. In general, when we think about this world and living in this world, light and life go together. You know, light, we have light, you have life, and they go together. When God creates the world, he's going to create life. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, he starts by saying, let there be light, right? Let there be light. That's the first thing that happens in Scripture. Then he goes on to life. Because you need light for life in the Word of God. And it, it speaks to that. I read an article uh, just recently as I was uh, looking at this passage of Scripture that talked about what would happen if the sun suddenly went out. What would happen? Three things, the uh, writer said. First, he says, the whole world would be zero degrees by the end of the day. By the end of the year, 100 degrees below zero. And then for the rest of the time, years to follow, it would stabilize at 400 degrees below zero. 
400 degrees below zero. Secondly, photosynthesis would stop. All oxygen from plants and, and, and trees in the world would stop. Most of us would freeze to death, you know, or, or we would die before they could create enough oxygen to supply all the people of the world. And third, we get verse 2 says, On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, literally, it says this. On those living in death's shadow, a light has flashed. A light has flashed. That's what we were singing about. You know, light of the world, light of the world. Flash on us, shine on us. Um, We think, we think, and you, you all, you theologians out there, you can argue with me all you want. We think that this must be talking spiritually. Right? Because we have the sun. We have the sun. It's talking about spiritual darkness, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. And I'll tell you why. Let's think. Let's think about this and let's look at this. If the sun went out, all life would really end. And the truth is, the sun is going out. The sun is going out. We're all dying. Welcome to church. Merry Christmas. We're all dying. We're all dying. Imagine you cooked a turkey for, for, um, for Christmas, and instead of eating it, you set it out about four hours, and now it's cold. Okay, four days later, now it stinketh. You know, it's sitting on the table. You haven't eaten it. Four weeks later, the health inspectors have come because you're a health hazard in the community. Why? What's wrong? What's wrong with the turkey? The point is, the turkey is losing energy. That's what's happening. It goes bad. It's losing its energy. That's your future. Merry Christmas. You're welcome. You're losing energy. You're losing energy. You're running down. I'm running down. You're running down. The whole world, including the sun, is losing energy. It's just happening. There's a theological train of thought, which I found to be somewhat plausible. That, and follow my thoughts here when I think about this. When God created the world in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, did you notice? That's when he said, let there be light, and there was light. Right? 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 That the, the sun was actually created down in verse 14. Verse 14 is when the sun is, and the moon are created. Down in ver, it's, it's later. The sun is created then. The light in Genesis 1-3 is light. Everyone agrees that it's light. All theologians agree it's light. But they're asking, what is the source of that light? What is the source of that in verse 3? Tertullian, who is a first century Christian theologian, he believed that that light was the physical manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. Here's what he said, and I put it up on the screen. Does the word, the word, the logos, Christ, 
Does the Word Himself assume His own form and glorious garb, His own vocal utterance, when God says in Genesis 1-3, let there be light? This is the perfect nativity of the Word. When He proceeds from God the Father. And then He says, continues, God said, let there be light, and immediately the Word appears. The true light, as John 1 says, that enlightens every man was coming into the world and through him also came light upon the world from that moment god willed creation to be effected in the word in the logos and so god created so this this temporary light source that we see here by god's design functioned as a light to heat and to bring light to the earth for three days. There was light, but no sun. But no sun. How did that happen? How did that happen? This is a theory. I think, it, I think we find some things in the New Testament. For example, in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1 and verse 16, it says this, For in him all things were created. Things in heaven... Things on earth, visible, invisible, all things were created through him and for him. In the book of Revelation, and this is what really caught my attention as I was looking at this, because we've been studying this and looking at it on Wednesday night, and we're in the 21st chapter. It tells us that when the city of God comes down from heaven, this is the end of time, comes down out of heaven, that all death, all suffering, all injustice, all disease, aging, decay, it's gone. Why? Why is it gone? Why, why are all these things passing away? There's not any sun there, it says, right? You know, why? Because you don't need the sun. You don't need the sun. It says in Revelation 21 and verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon for the glory of God gives it light. The glory of God brings the light, and the Lamb is the light and the lamp. God and the Lamb will be the light of the world. You see, there's, there's ultimate light. There's an ultimate light, and in that light, nothing dies. In that light, nothing decays. In that light, everything is brand new. And God is bringing that new world how does that ultimate light then flash on us? And that's what it says. In verse 6, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. In other words, this child is the reason why we have this hope. We have this hope. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now notice here in Scripture, these are titles you could only give to God. Right? You can only give these to God. He is mighty God. He's not just sort of divine. He's everlasting Father. And yet He's born. There's nothing like this claim in any other faith, in any other religions, there's nothing like this. 
this person is obviously human because they're born, but they're divine because he's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. Let me say that obviously Christmas means, among other things, that God works in unexpected ways. We talked about that two weeks ago. But ultimately, Christmas is about the birth of God. God putting on flesh. And God coming into our world. Some years ago, and some of you aren't old enough to remember this, but um, thankfully I am so I could bring it to you this morning. Some celebrities in our music world, you, you'll remember this, they put a band together. I mean, from all over the world, they brought people together and they, they did what was called Live Aid concert. You remember this? It was in 85, actually. You can see it on the screen there, 85. And they, they all got together and they sang this song, We Are the World, We Are the Children, right? We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start living. Yeah, you remember the song? Some of you do. That's not just different from the real message of Christmas. It's diametrically opposed to Christmas. It says the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and we will all get together and put together this, this world unity and peace. And you remember all the personality? I mean, there was, this was like a... You, you know, all the different personalities in the music world were there. Everybody was there. People from kings and, and people, of, heads of government, all of people were there. And it was a huge gathering that happened. There were Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Willie Nelson from the, from the country, Stevie Wonder, Queen, Nick Jagger. Everybody was there. Bob Dylan was there. And afterwards... They were noticed that Bob Dylan, when he was singing, he wasn't, didn't have a whole lot of joy. And so they went to talk with him, and afterwards he says he felt uncomfortable singing that. And you know why? He said, because humankind can't save itself. Humankind can't save itself. And he's right. He's absolutely right. The world can't save itself. That's the message of the text. Those sitting in darkness, that's the message of Christmas. What's Christmas all about? The light is coming into this world and the darkness of this world. Chapter 9 starts out with the word nevertheless. Love it. I love that word. It's the word however, nevertheless. So you have to look and see, well, what is the nevertheless? What, is, what, what happened in chapter 8? So we turn to chapter 8, and you can flip back just one chapter, in verse 21, and look what it says there. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they're famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and God. They will look toward the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, this is not a pretty picture. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. So they're, they're looking to the earth. We are the children, right? They're looking at the earth, and they see only distress. They see darkness, they see gloom. And at the end of the chapter, verse 8, 
the Israelites are crushed under famine. The whole country is in, in distress. And, and all sorts of social and psychological problems are occurring because of this. And they're looking to the intellectuals of their day. They're looking to government in their day to try to find answers. But the more they look at the earth, the more they see darkness. That's what that's about. That's what that's about. So then chapter 9 starts, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Never, Christmas is God's nevertheless. It's powerful. There is a light, but it's not a light that we develop when we realize that we are the world, we are the children, and we need to begin to give. It's not developed, it's discovered. It's discovered. It's from beyond us. It's beyond us. It's God intervening in this world. It's God coming to bring us light. Yes, things are dark. And we keep looking to the earth and it gets darker and it gets darker and it gets darker. Christmas is a message of unparalleled hope. Hope for this world. And yet Christmas is also telling you something about the world and about your own heart and about your own mind that's sobering and insulting. It's insulting. Christmas means Jesus is a light and this world is a dark place. It means both. Or why do you need the light? Jesus is the light. So they look at the earth, Scripture says. The world understands its problems. Don't get me wrong. They analyze them. They're good at it. Analyze the problems extremely well but can't find the solutions to things. That's why the world's a dark place. So we're told by Paul that the Greeks sought wisdom. See, the Greeks weren't all big on mysticism. They weren't big on politics. They're big on the mind, the intellect. Let's get the guys who are smart and let them sit down in a, in a, in a think tank and think through these things, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna save us. The thinkers, they're going to save us. The great minds... Our problems will be solved by education. Our problems will be solved by enlightenment. The Jews weren't like that at all. <laughs> they, they could care less. They, didn't, they weren't so big on, on, on universities. Let's build more universities and education. The, the, you know, they, the, they believed in politics. We need a leader. That's the Jews. We need a leader. We have a crisis of leadership. We need somebody to lead us here. We need a Messiah we need somebody to come here. We need somebody who can rally the forces, cast the vision. We need leadership. And the Greeks said, we need smarter people. Jews said, nope, 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 leadership. And both are looking to the earth. Both are looking to the earth. Who do we look to? Who do we look to? This world's not getting better. Not getting better. After a while, you become aware you're surrounded by idiots. And I'm, I'm being kind. <laughs> and the more you look, the more you look, the more darkness becomes utter darkness. Where's the answers to things and the problems? Let's get together in a circle and sing Kumbaya. 
I read a book years ago, and, and I actually I can't find it anymore. I was looking for it, but it was by Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell is a theologian, and he wrote a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. Why I'm Not a Christian. This guy, this guy, you know, these are the guys I call eggheads. They're eggheads. They're just, they're just, they're thinkers. He's, he's unparalleled in expounding the darkness of human life. He just goes on and on. And when you get done, you're going, whoa, this, we're, we're in bad shape, you know. He won't let you dismiss it when you're reading his theology. And this is what he says. And I, I put it up there. If there's no God, or we can't know if there's a God, which is the same thing, consider the logic of your position. And don't try to squirm out of it by singing Christmas carols. If there's no God, then we're the result of accidental collision of molecules. And that's not the important thing. He continues. He says this, but, he says, now listen, unfortunately... We have evolved into creatures with a self-consciousness. We have evolved into creatures with a self-consciousness. And because we're aware of ourselves, we feel we're more significant, somehow more noble than the rocks and the slime and the trees. Listen, but there's no basis for such a feeling. There's no basis for such a feeling. So here we are with our consciousness, and the consciousness is the result of a meaningless process. Therefore, our consciousness is meaningless itself, and yet we feel significant. That's hopelessness, isn't it? My goodness. Russell is saying here, you're building your life on a foundation of unyielding despair. There's nothing to build on if there's no God. You have to realize that you and all mankind will eventually die in that great universe, death of the universe, and that's the way it is. Merry Christmas. That's the way it is. He says of, of, of all of our science, all of our reason, we'll never be able to answer three questions. Number one, what is the purpose of life? Number two, how human beings got into this mess that they're in. And number three, how are we going to get out of it? How are we going to get out of it? Christmas. Christmas. Scripture says those living in the death shadow, the message is the world, human life is a dark place. And the more you look for solutions, the darker it gets. But Christmas says, nevertheless, a light is flashed. A light is flashed. God has sent a son into the world, and there's no light any other place. That's the honesty of Bob Dylan. That's what Bob Dylan was saying. You know what that means? You know what that means? It means, first of all, if you do not know God personally, if you have no confidence that Christmas happens, if you just think it's a nice idea and we sing songs and we gather around a tree, but you don't know that God really sent his son into the world to live and to die 
and he came to earth for us, then there's no way you should take Christmas and use it and make it chirpy. There's no way that you can sit around making groundless statements about how if we just hold hands, everything will be all right. If we just get together in a circle and love each other, everything will be fine. Can't do that. Can't do that. And here's why. Christmas won't let you do that. Christmas won't let you do that. Christianity, listen, is not sentimental. It's, it's for thinkers. It's not sentimental. Every other kind of non-Christian philosophy that you can think about and dream of tries to console you. They'll say, buck up. Buck up. Things aren't so bad. In every cloud, there's a silver lining, right? Christianity is far more realistic. Far more realistic than any non-Christian philosophy. Christianity would never say, never say, Oh, things aren't so bad. Christianity says, yeah, things are bad and they're worse than you think. They're worse than you think. Don't you see? Unless unless Christmas is true, there's no light and there's no comfort. Stop being chirpy. God in Christ steps into our world and says, darkness, yes, deep darkness, yes, nevertheless. Nevertheless. The New Testament uses these words, but God. But God. That's the heart of the gospel, people. That's the heart of the gospel. Christmas is a but God moment. It's a nevertheless moment. The great theologian, Lloyd Rayburn, said to me some years ago, we were talking and we we, we came up with this word and we were talking about but something. And Lloyd said, but is an eraser word. I don't know if he remembers this conversation. See, you people, you always remember what I say. I remember what you say too. (laughs) It's an eraser word. And it is. When God's but God, it's erasing stuff. And God's coming full circle to the front of everything. Nevertheless, I love that word. But God, I love that word. This small word flows in and out of our conversations all the time, every day. Nevertheless, but God signifies a redirection of God's purpose and God's power and God's works. God changes things. Two of the greatest nevertheless statements in Scripture are this one here in Isaiah 9 and in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when Jesus says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, right? But thine be done. Redirection. God's redirecting. Both of these working in tandem You know, change the direction of mankind. Change the direction of this world. The sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the greatest expression of but God the world has ever seen. It's the ultimate nevertheless of God. But God. It's dramatic. It's powerful. It changes lives. 
And but God is found in all through Scripture. Um, and it always, it, but God always points to the Lord and what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. I'm a mess, but God. David said that. David said that, you know, my flesh, my heart may fail, but God. Is my strength, my heart, my portion forever, but God, right? New Testament, we're reminded again and again, God is there. And he defeated death. He was God. And you got, you know, and I I don't want to go through all this, but I, you know, um, all through the Old Testament, you get the same thing. But God, all through scripture, but God, but God. You know, he died for us, but God raised him from the dead. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ, but God, you know, but God's firm foundation stands. Second Timothy, Ephesians 2 says the same thing, only he makes it more broad. He says, therefore, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And then he finishes in verse 21 when he says, in him the whole building is fitted together and grows into a holy temple for the Lord. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Where is that revealed? In the word. It's in the word of God. It's full of but God's. If you read it, it's full of but God moments. The birth, the cross, the resurrection. In Luke 2, the angels have gone away. You know, they've, they've, they've had the glory moment and they've gone away and uh, they're telling the story of the, of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're telling the story in verse 18, it says, and all who heard it were astounded and wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. You see, Scripture is, is, is the best way, really, that God communicates to us. I mean, there's a variety of ways, but Scripture is the best way that God has communicated to us. And here it says that she, when God was speaking and she was seeing all that was going on in her life, she treasured these things. Literally, that means she memorized these things. She was, she was thinking about it. Those things were so important, they became impressed, uh, embedded in her mind. She treasured these things. Memorizing them. The word pondered there means to converse with someone. But what's it say? She kept all these and pondered these things where? In her heart. In her mind, in her heart. She was having a conversation with God, conversation with herself. She was discussing it and and asking questions and then letting it ask questions of her and her life. When you go to the Bible, you give yourself to the scriptures. Let the Bible be, let it be a treasure. Ponder it in your mind, in your heart. Then the last thing I wanted to say this morning is all this stuff that we're talking about with Christmas, the hope that you can have, you know, that God himself has come into the world, there's joy, there's newness of life. All this can only be received as you receive it as a gift of grace. Gift of grace. Notice this, verse 6 is probably the most powerful verse here. Notice it just doesn't say, watch it, for unto us a child is born. It also says, unto us a son is what? Given. Given. It's given. It's a gift. 
It's a gift from God. Verse 5, you know, and it's kind of confusing. We look at this verse 5 that's sticking out in there. It kind of doesn't seem to fit with what's going on. It actually says in this great battle against good and evil, it says every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel. What is that all about? Why is that stuck in the middle of this wonderful passage about a child being born? What it's saying is this great battle between good and evil, what's going on here, is going to be fought and evil will be overturned, but you're not going to have to fight it. That's what that says. You won't need the warrior's boot. You won't need armor. You won't need a sword. Melt it down, burn it up. The garments rolled in blood, throw them in the fire. It doesn't matter because it's a gift. God did it. It's a gift to us. Someone else will do the fighting. Now, who would that be? It's Christ Jesus, right? It's Christ Jesus. And even though it doesn't tell us that here, you have to wait until you get to the servant's song, right? In Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 53, where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We all, every one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him. That's where it says it, the iniquity of us all, right? He came in weakness. He came as a lamb. He came crucified. He took the punishment that we deserve, the great salvation. This light, this light that comes into your life, partly now, now think about this, partly now and ultimately, you know, we're looking at this in Revelation 21, it's going to flash out and it's going to destroy death. And it's going to destroy suffering and pain. And all tears will be wiped away at the end of time. And this comes as a gift of grace. To accept the gift that's given, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to admit you're a sinner. Give up the control of your life and give everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we celebrate Christmas. It's a gift. Christmas is a gift. But it's bigger than our presence under the tree. Christmas is God's nevertheless. For your life. For our lives. For the life of this congregation and church. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your presence with us. And oh, how grateful we are for this word. For the, for the, 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 the nooks and crannies of the word of God. And there's just always something fresh, always something new that speaks to our hearts and to our lives. The grand truth, the overwhelming truth, that floods our hearts and our minds and our lives, that brings us salvation, is the light of the world has come. The light of the world has come. And as we surrender our lives to him, as we give ourselves to him, we're born again.
and made into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today, that we've been born anew because Jesus came into the world, the Son of God, died for us, was resurrected for us, and is coming again. And we're thankful for this ultimate light. And we see it all through Scripture. Uh, help us to just rejoice in that this Christmas. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.